This is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. On the show today, you'll find out where book publishing is going and how to take advantage of it. How to identify and avoid publishing predators. What opportunities are emerging as the book trade evolves in new forms. How to avoid losing money and much, much more. Join us now as a variety of publishing pros will deliver insights and strategies to take the author to the next, next level of publishing. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd. And now, here's your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Welcome back, everyone. This week's podcast for your author success with the Author You Guide to Book Publishing podcast is ready to go. And as you know, you listen in. I always like to share a variety of ahas, insights, tips, and how-tos for your author, your publishing, and your book marketing success. And sometimes I go solo, and sometimes I have awesome guests. And that before I introduce someone that has not been on the show before, um, I always like to lead in with a quote from my book, Snappy Sassy Salty Success for Authors and Writers. And um, we're going to be talking about the art of writing, the craft of writing, the niche type of writing, the stylism of writing. Um, and how you mark your niche today. But with that, the quote I want to share with you is just really simple. The only difference between a successful writer and that one is a failure is one didn't quit. And with that said, I would love to introduce to you a Colorado Authors Hall of Famer who is a native of Colorado. He's a retired lawyer. He is the author of 11 novels and a short story collection. He's been honored to receive the Colorado Book Award, which is the top award here in Colorado, twice um, on his, with his just own name and also as part of a contributor to an anthology. Um, and he has the Chicano Latino uh, Literary Award. So there's so much behind him, and and Emmanuel Ramos has been a finalist for the Edgar Award, which means bringing mystery, mystery, mystery into it, for his book My Bad, A Mile High Noir, and Angels in the Wind, A Mile High Noir. So this is what we're going to find out um, more about this niche type of writing, going with something you truly know. And that one of the quotes he always likes to use for himself is he, he senses that he is there to give a tiny piece of redemption, a minuscule slice of immutable elderly to all the vetoes and homeboys to their chaos. Okay, Manuel, welcome to the show. And let's explain that quote. Well, hi, how you doing, Judith? I'm doing great. Yeah, I, uh, I I am too. I think I'm ready to go here. I've had my coffee and I've uh, been thinking okay. about what you were talking about. So Okay, so you know what? You have to, what's a veto? A vato. A vato. All right, what a is vato. a vato? Yeah, what's well, that? Well, a vato is just a slang term for uh, for a, a guy, you know, for a, 
uh, a homeboy. It's uh, it's been around forever, and uh, sometimes it's Vato Loco or Crazy Guy, you know. Oh, so this is a dude. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's uh, right. It's not me. It's uh, my characters, though. Well, I often uh, uh, that way. Yeah. I, well, I would never say it's you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, sometimes it can get pretty crazy, though, right? <laughs> hey, Manuel, what brought you to writing? What, what was what was the um, uh, the, the genesis that said okay. that I'm going to be a writer? Um, after you had how many years were you a lawyer? Oh, I was a lawyer for what thirty, thirty-five years. But uh, but I started writing after I'd been a lawyer for about a dozen years. I mean, professionally, I got back mm -hmm. to it. But really, really, when I started writing, you know, I grew up in a small town of Florence, Colorado, which is uh, down by the Arkansas River, down there by Canyon City. Mm -hmm. And it was a very small town. Uh, there wasn't a lot to do, uh, although it was a great place to grow up. But one of the places I did hang out was uh, in the library, the public library there, which uh, was in a, a small building. But you know, they used to let me go in there and read pretty much whatever I wanted to. And I, so I developed a love of reading. I'm sure a lot of writers can relate to this. You, you become a reader first, uh, read as much as you can. And, uh, that's what happened to me. You know, I read everything I could get my hands on. And eventually I thought that, uh, you know, I, I would love to do something like that, write something that would, uh, touch somebody else the way the books touched me in that small town. So I started writing as a kid, you know, I did character sketches and uh, little pieces that I uh, would write. And when I, when I got to high school, of course, there was a, a teacher there that uh, supported me and kind of validated me and um, my desire to become a writer. So she helped out. Uh, I wrote again during college uh, up at uh, Colorado State University in Fort Collins. Uh, but then I went to law school, and like I said, it was a good dozen years after that before I returned to writing. Uh, and and what, I, what I wrote at that time, after I'd been a lawyer for a while, was about a lawyer in Denver who was going through some kind of midlife crisis. And... Uh, you know, I, I wondered where that came from, but obviously I was reflecting on my own situation, and I, I wrote that character. It got some play. It, uh, it uh, got published by uh, Westward Magazine, which at that time used mm -hmm. to run a writing contest, mm -hmm. and uh, that got me going. You know, I, uh, once, once I created that character, then I wanted to learn more about him, and I expanded it, that short story eventually into a novel. Mm. You know, I am so glad you mentioned Westward. Um, for those of you who have been listening to me, I have always been a huge supporter of what's known as the weeklies. And Westward, um, here in Colorado, which is uh, both of our home bases, um, has to me been one of the premier weeklies. Would you agree with that, Emmanuel? Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> There's a, you can find just about anything in that uh, weekly uh, newspaper and, uh, and and some of the articles have been actually very instrumental in what's going on in the city. Uh, uh -huh. 
And so back then, back in when I'm when I'm talking about when in the uh, late eighties, they they did have a fiction contest and they would you know publish writing by people who basically were just beginning or were unknown in in their writing. And uh, they selected that one story of mine. And, uh, that really was the beginning for me. Mm -hmm. Well, what, what I and and just to give kudos again to the Westward and all the sisters and brethrens out there, um, uh, uh, and whether uh, they're they're in multiple countries, but um, certainly in North America, which is our primary listenership, is that they have so aggressively supported the literary community. Um, uh, beyond almost any that I've ever seen um, out here. So you, you, for all of you, dig in and find out who's the local one because you could end up being their star. They love to support local people and local events. Why not your book? So I just wanted to add that on here. All right, so um, what was your first book? Uh, the, the first novel was called The Ballad of Rocky Ruiz, uh -huh. and that's the one that came out in uh, 1993, 30 years ago. Uh, and actually, it is uh, going to be reissued by my current publisher mm -hmm. in September of this year to celebrate the 30th anniversary of that book. And they're coming out with a new edition, you know, new cover, all that kind of stuff. And oh, that's actually, a great idea. That's a great idea. So um, I, I, I be, before you go on, I'm just going to tell all of you, if you have a book that um, has been out there and is being celebrated just like Manuel's first book is, 30-year anniversary, it's time to have a party. We're talking about a whole new launch um, and so much that you can do to bring a whole new generation's attention to your book that you thought, well, it's, well, it's yesteryear. And here it's going to have a new life. So good for you. Yeah, I'm excited about it. You know, uh, it, it uh, that that book uh, is the one that uh, got a lot of notice when it first came out and uh, kind of uh, got my name out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's it's never really been out of print, but we're going to do a new edition. And, and actually, after that, they plan to re release uh, my first five novels, which were all centered around the main character of the Chicano lawyer in Denver, Luis Montes. So they're mm -hmm. called the Montes novels. And uh, we, we intend to have a book launch and, you know, a big party and all of that when, when it's uh, issued again here in September. Well, that sounds terrific. All right. So we're, we're getting close to our first break, but I wanted to just throw this at you. And if we don't finish it within two minutes, that's fine. We'll carry it over. But why should people write? Whoa, why should people write? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right, now we have a minute. All right, we have roughly a minute. Let's start it off. Why write? Well, let's start with you. Why did you start writing? Well, I wrote because uh, I, I was a reader, you know, and uh, I really wanted to duplicate that uh, effect on people. And I wanted to see what I could do in terms of what I was reading, if I could, you know, come up with uh, similar kinds of emotions. And uh, so for me, it was just trying to w figure out what I was all about. But it it, it ended up becoming uh, uh, more than just an exercise for me, but really uh, 
uh, a, a commitment to improve it as much as I could. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I have a question then, um, but it's going to have to wait till I come back. So here we are. We're going to take our first break. With us is Manuel Lamas. is your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these. Is there a book in you or another? Author You shows you how to create, develop, and publish your book without being hoodwinked. If you already have a book out, you will find a supportive and brainstorming community that is connected and creative, no matter where you live. Author You brings in national experts for its book camps and annual Author You Extravaganza. It has regular meetings and delivers webinars for its members on timely topics. Through Author You's extensive network, Members enjoy exclusive benefits, including significant discounts for a variety of services necessary to publishing. AuthorU is the premier authoring resource in the country, creating community, education, guidance, vision, and success for the serious author. If you want to create a book that has pizzazz, punch, and panache, AuthorU is for you. Timely author and publishing tips and articles are posted on its social media platforms. And it is free. Discover Author U, where authors go to become seriously successful. Join Author U today at authoru.org. Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. If you want to write and publish a book... If you want to be successful as an author, your guide to book publishing, everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask, is for you. Stay tuned and you'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. I was sharing with Manuel that I had um, checked out a whole bunch of books from my library, and I want to encourage you all, Manuel mentioned that, to use your library. I mean, librarians are goldmine to me, um, that they they can take you into research directions that the Google doesn't think about if, if you're probing things. And I was doing some research on a new book series, and I picked up a whole bunch of books that I really, you know, loved uh, years ago. You know, I'm talking like 20 years plus ago. Um, and I brought them home to kind of study. And I think, and Emmanuel, I'd love to have you talk about this because I think it's really important for whatever you're writing in. And we're talking fiction and nonfiction. Doesn't matter here. You need to know what the genre looks like. You need to read other authors who are writing in your specific genre. Um, to get the feel of what the scope is out there. At least that's my opinion. So, um, and I have have a new series I'm doing. It's going to be about women, friendship, fun, um, sometimes getting into a little trouble. um, And because I'm a cook, there'll be cooking in it. 
But with that, um, I picked up all these books and I came back and I was looking forward to it. I'd planned four hours of just kind of sitting back and enjoying. And manual, I hated it. They were boring. Mm-hmm. I, they were stuck. I just thought I started scanning through all these. I said, what the heck? That are you so cookie cutter formula that there is no variation? Now, um, I, I like to have familiar characters in a book. And, I, and I'd love to know, you know, do you have some of the same people popping up? Um, but how do you stay away from a rut? Maybe that's my question. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's a very real concern, too, because uh, especially for writers who have been doing it for a while and, uh, you know, have a string of, of books coming out or that have already come out, uh, it, it's very hard to stay away from uh, previous ideas that you've used. or uh, and, and then if you're repeating characters, you can um, you can definitely get stuck. But I, I think the, the way I try to approach all that is that um, there are certain things that are required, especially in genre fiction, that the reader is just going to expect. And so you've got to provide that. But you, for me, it's a question of how do I do this in a way that doesn't sound like something that I've already done before. And maybe it's coming from a new character. Maybe it's uh, you know a new location. Uh, I think what I've got to do is I have to do something to stimulate my imagination so that I do go off in different directions. Uh, even if I've got at, at the heart of it, even though, let's say, because I write mystery, you know, of course, there's expected to be some kind of uh, of a violent uh, murder, for, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to have to be done. But obviously the way I'm going to do it is, uh, is really what the whole art of writing about is for me is, is how does it, how is that presented so that the reader understands what's happening, but also appreciates that it's, uh, being done in a way that's going to catch their attention. And like I said, sometimes it means a new character, a new location, um, uh, a, a different way of the main character, uh, coming up with investigative clues to to the resolution, you know, it's all it's all a matter of uh, turning it over in your head so that if, if I get bored with it, then I know for sure my reader is, and so I've got to keep myself interested as I go along and mm-hmm. make sure that I'm paying attention to the details that will keep me going when I write. Is it common for authors, successful authors, to get lazy? Well, I don't know how common it is, but I'm certain I'm sure that it's a it's a risk. And uh, you know, I've talked with other writers about that very thing. Uh, you know, how, how do you how do you avoid that? And uh, and and I think lazy or lack of ambition is is one way that it's presented. Uh, and, and you know, another way that 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 shows itself is when somebody complains about writer's block. I often think that writer's block is just another way of saying, you know, I'm I'm I've bored myself or I'm I'm getting lazy about doing this. Mm. So that's, a constant, that's, a, that's a constant struggle within the within me as a writer to avoid doing that. And uh, so yeah, it is a risk. And I, I think the 
the, the longer you do this kind of stuff, uh, it's probably the more aware you become of it as as a writer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, for as a writer myself, I think it's good to write what you love, what you enjoy, um, have fun with it. But I think the the board, you're, you're saying board, I love that. Um, and it is, it, it is, maybe they're making so much money that they can afford to just cookie cutter stuff. It's, it's unfortunate to me. It's unfortunate. And here, um, that they lost a fan, you know, I will probably, I, my fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Russell said, do not use the words always and never, but I will use unlikely. It is unlikely that I will pick up another one of these authors' books because it's mm. so formula at this point. It, it it actually became formula maybe twenty books ago, but it's so yeah. formula. And then you wonder, are they still writing them or is someone else doing it? Yeah, that that I I get that same kind of uh, feeling when I, I I come across that. Uh, that kind of book that is part of a long series and it just seems to be you know retelling of what's happened before mm-hmm. uh i'm sure that uh for the very successful writers who can afford it you know there's a crew of people working on these books and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you know one of the one of your co-hall of famers who was inducted the same year you were into the author's hall of fame michael gear um, mm-hmm. he, he gets so into his characters, um, and he, his scenes change. There is so much variety, and he has a long-running series too. But I remember he, I, we did a show with him, and I was enthralled with how he enrolled in a two-week bodyguard class to understand the mechanisms and all that, because it was one of his main characters in his book i mean that's dedication and 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 certainly if you knew michael gear if you saw michael gear who is an anthropologist and an amazing writer you would never think of him as a bodyguard <laughs> yeah but he took that extra step right to find out more yeah. about it no question yeah no question in that and it, and it does show and it does make a difference all right so you, uh, you know, you're, you're kind of overall genre is kind of crime fiction, isn't it? That's right. Yes. Crime fiction. All right. And then you, then you re-narrowed it. So that it, it's, do you pretty much stay with your heritage or do you go out into others? Well, yeah, I, I uh, mo- my, my stories and my books are, usually centered in the Latino community mm-hmm. uh, and especially the Latino community of Denver. Mm-hmm. Although I have, uh, you know, I've written about the San Luis Valley and New Mexico and uh, South Texas, but it, yeah. it all comes, it all comes from uh, uh, writing about my community uh, and actually throwing in some of my culture. You know, when I was going to the library as a kid down in the small town of Florence, there weren't any books in that library that re- there were reflections of me, you know, that that had characters that I could relate to in the sense of my heritage and 
my ethnicity, anything like that. Now, I read everything I could. I read Raymond Chandler and Mark Twain and uh, Patricia Highsmith. You know, I, I, whatever the library had, I read, but eventually I realized that uh, there was something missing in, in, that, in, in all those books that I was reading, and that was stories about the people that I grew up with, you know, or the people that surrounded me and my family. And so when I started writing, uh, that's what I wrote about, stuff that I thought wasn't being included in the literature. Uh, and, and eventually, you know, now there are thousands of Latino writers in the United States writing in all genres, uh, writing all kinds of different books. Uh, but in 1993, when I published my first novel, there were only a handful of Latino writers that were published in the entire country. And in the mystery field, I knew every Latino who was writing mysteries when I published my first novel, because there were only like six or seven of us in the entire country. So, uh, I mean, that that's one of the reasons why I write those, what I do, but it's also, you know, those are the stories I want to tell. Those, those are the stories that interest me and hopefully I can get my readers to also uh, want to read those. That, I think that's what makes it exciting to, um, to go in to where you are. So now I'm going to come back to crime fiction. Okay. <laughs> what, kind of, what kind of lawyer were you, Emmanuel? Well, I, I, when I first started out, I did a lot of criminal defense work. Uh-huh. <laughs> but eventually I went to work for the uh, legal aid program in the state, uh, Colorado Legal Services. And, you know, we represented uh, people in a variety of fields, family law, property, housing, consumer issues, health issues. Uh, you know, the legal aid programs uh, deal with people who are in crisis and, uh, so that that's the kind of law that eventually I stayed with, and my my career was mainly in uh, legal services, legal aid. Right. So, and of course, legal aid is all encompassing all kinds of things, whether it's a um, a, a crime, crime, what a murder gets involved, or it's some some other type of situation. But um, I I love it that because. What you're what you're saying is for a writer, um, it's always good to tap into what you know and let that be part of your resources um, that you spell out. Would that be true for you? Well, I think that's that's basically true. Yes, uh, I, I think it, it, if that's where you start, you know, with something that you do know. Um, but then I wouldn't limit limit it to that, you know. I mean, if uh, if I could only write about everything that I know, you know, we would have exhausted my knowledge after the first book or so. <laughs> okay, <laughs> let me let me just take um, just we're going to take our second break here, but okay. um, but it's a but it's a genesis, it's a beginning. I said, oh, right. that's this. All right, we'll be right back.
Hayes, your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. And we'll be right back with more great information right after these. Discover the power of you and your book at the Judith Bryles Unplugged events. Each summer, Judith Bryles Book Marketing Unplugged unfolds over three intensive days working with just Judith. You get publishing strategies, author and book platforms, book marketing panache and pizzazz, and authoring tools to take you and your book to rock star success. In the fall and winter, Judith Bryles Speaking Unplugged includes Judith as your coach and mentor during two powerful days. You will learn how to structure a speech, how to create openings and closings, how to find gigs that pay you and sell your books, and you will get one-on-one coaching. Go to thebookshepherd.com and click on the Events tab to learn how to participate at the next Unplugged Workshop event. Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Coming up, you'll hear more about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. best-selling author. He is. He was inducted into the Colorado Authors Hall of Fame in 2021, and he has multiple honors to his name: literary awards, uh, top hand awards. Um, he's won the top uh, book award in Colorado that is sponsored by the Center for the Book here, Colorado Book Award. Um, there's a lot going on. And that, and he shared with us as we, our opening segment, that one of his books that is going to be the big 3-0, 30 years old, is going to be, uh, have a redo, um, new cover, new launching, I don't know, are you going to, Manuel, are you going to add an author's note, just kind of a recap of what's happened in 30 years since this came out? Um, I, I don't think so. Um. I think my publisher wants to just, you know, reissue the the, the book the, the way it was originally. Um, there there was a reissue of these books uh, uh, several years ago, and they they did an introduction and all of that. And uh, but I think this time they're they're just going to do the book itself. Well, you might want to consider that. This is from you to your reader. This is kind of a love yeah. note to your reader. Um, undo that. I mean, it's just another page in the book. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, right in the front, by the way. Right in the front of it, by the way. All right. So okay. um, that you're known for writing in a, uh, a, a specific, uh, specific lane, um, at the noir ra- lane. A lot of people don't even know what that is. So would you kiss on that, expand on that for us? Uh, be happy to. The, um... Well, literary noir, of course, has its roots in uh, in in, in, uh, in uh, cinematic noir. Mm-hmm. You know, the film noir movies of the 30s and 40s, 
that uh, started uh, probably with German Expressionism and French New Wave uh, in the cinema, where what was important in those uh, artistic efforts was the overall atmosphere, the uh, character development, and the the uh, the sense of uh, fatalism and cynicism that came across. Mm-hmm. And when writers uh, adapted the, the cinematic uh, category of noir to their written work, you know, a lot of what was seen on the screen carried over into the books. So there's uh, traditionally in a noir novel, you're going to get heavy atmosphere. You're going to get um, morally ambiguous situations and characters so that not everybody is all good or all bad necessarily. And uh, you're often going to get a sense of fatalism or uh, uh, something negative at the end of the book, and there isn't necessarily a happy ending. So uh, given all that, you know, a noir novel can be pretty bleak and pessimistic. And what what I've done with uh, that whole uh, idea there, that whole concept, is I've thrown in the culture and heritage uh, of the Latino community, of the the Chicano, Mexican-American community especially, and put that uh, kind of uh, concept against the background of the traditional noir atmospheric fatalism. And what often happens when I when I do that is that um, even though dark things happen in my books, and even though the the uh, protagonist may not be uh, totally a good guy uh, or a good woman, um, the um, at the end there's still a sense of hope. You know, there's still a sense of uh, possibility. And so that's what I call Chicano Noir, because I take the actual perseverance of my community of uh, basically a racially and ethnic minority in the United States and what all that means. And even though it's a struggle and even though uh, it can often be difficult, at the end, there's a sense of resiliency and of hope. And uh, I, I try to put that into my novels uh, in one way or the other. And that doesn't necessarily mean that there's going to be a happy ending, but at least there's going to be something at the end that uh, keeps people going forward, I hope. <laughs> so so a, a noir, you're saying, always does, because people are a lot of people want at least closure, a happy ending or a, a reveal or something in in their books so you're saying that there doesn't have to be a happy ending no exactly and um, years ago um, I belonged to a internet chat group that uh, was called the rara avis or the rare bird and that that came out of the Maltese Falcon you recall that famous Mm -hmm. uh, oh yes yes. yep yep right And so the people in Rara Avis discussed uh, noir and hard-boiled and 
crime fiction, uh, all the different genres of uh, mystery crime fiction. And they came up with a definition, uh, several definitions of uh, noir, literary noir. But I'll tell you, the one that stuck with me from all that group was the one that said that uh, in, a, in a noir novel, the protagonist is screwed on the first page and it's downhill from there. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, dear. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. Dear. Happy ending is not necessary. But like oh, I say, God. in my books, there, there's always this other thing going on that's balanced against the actual way the community uh, functions and survives. So, a noir really starts with bang, action, page one. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. You okay. Can't. Well... So it's it's not a long and of course noirs are not romance novels. <laughs> There's crime and all kinds of stuff going on in them. All right, Bebby, I I want to um, flip back to the to the whole writing um, that I hear arguments so many times from groups of authors how you should write. Do and and we're talking in, in talking on the fiction line. Do we do it in the first person? Do you do mm -hmm. it in the third person? Do you mix it up? How do you sort out the point of view? And also the other issue is that when when do we, as these characters go on, do you need to choose, okay, we're writing in the presence, uh, in, a, in a present tense, or do we integrate past tense? Um, as a master writer, what's your thoughts here? Well, typically I write in the first person, um, but not always, and, and I've, I've done... Uh, you know, several uh, pieces and stories uh, not in the first person. But but I usually end up doing it that way simply because I get deep into the character. Um, and it, it's much more intimate, of course, first person uh, than the third person. Mm -hmm. And the uh, I, I've even had... Uh, two different narrators in, in my, one of my novels. Uh, but they were, again, speaking from the first person, but they were definitely different people who were giving the uh, narrative. And for the reason that uh, I do that, as I said, is because I get deep into the character and I think it's a, it's a first person is the way to express what's going on in the main character's uh, head and development and personality. Um, but I, I also find that it can be difficult because I'm writing crime fiction and there is a puzzle at the heart of every crime fiction novel that has to be solved one way or the other. And often that means uh, that I need to understand clues or uh, motives from other people, other characters in the book. And uh, so it's very difficult often to do that in the first person. So I, it keeps me on my toes, I will tell you, to come up with ways of, uh, of uh, expanding the storyline mm -hmm. so that the reader knows what's going on. But it also comes across as uh, true to the character. So it, it's difficult, but it's it's the way I I do it simply because, um, as I said, it's it's my way of making sure I get into the character, which 
for me, character is, is more important than plot. Oh, yeah, people do want to know about the characters. They're, all their little nuances, you know, their quirks, their habits, those kind of things that you can integrate in. I'm assuming you're you're talking about using those tips, too. Right. Yeah, yeah. okay. All right. All right. So um, in your, uh, when you have first person, you get a lot of, we have thinking going on sometimes, I think. Is that the, is that part of the narrator part? The first person's the narrator, right? Uh, as well as yeah. as as well as the interaction with a dialogue. So, what what tips can you give our listeners on creating dialogue that snaps, crackles, and pops, or brings them in, or creates the OMG moment? Any thoughts there? Well, I, I think it's important to. Um... To, to be aware of the people around you uh, in real life. Uh, for me, uh, research for my novels often includes simply listening to other people as they talk or communicate or uh, live their lives. And I, I try to, you know, remember those things, write them down, keep a, a notebook, um, whatever I can do to if I hear something that strikes me as uh, interesting or different, you know, I want to preserve it. And so I, I try to figure out how I'm going to do that. And sometimes it just means if we're driving in the car, my wife and I, and I just holler something out, <laughs> she'll write it down just because she understands that I'm thinking about something else that's going to go in a book. Oh, I love that. Okay. So, um, <laughs> I mean, I... <laughs> your wife to drive around with me um <laughs> that what's really important uh, and i'm just going to add this in and we're going to take our final break here um with manuel um uh, ramus but that on on the art of writing of crafting of creating a niche book uh but i think it's really important you have those little notebooks or those sticky notes or whatever it is because you do overhear things i mean sometimes i hear people say it's like oh my god i i don't have anything to write on i need to remember that um because that's the juice that will keep things going and when manuel said you got to be aware and listen to, to others around you that's what they sound like we're going to be right back this is author you your guide to book publishing is your guide to book publishing everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask with your host dr judith briles and we'll be right back with more great information right after these are you confused about publishing options do you know which printing option is best for your book does your stomach flip when you think about selling books or do you feel overwhelmed with what to do about book marketing and publicity? Get the answers and much more. Get them and from someone who knows publishing inside and out from both the traditional and independent sides how to make a successful book. You can't do it alone without paying the price. You can spend your money creating a book that turns out to be so-so. Or you can create a book that looks and feels classy 
Build your brand and platform and is a success, a bestseller. It is your choice. You choose. If you want author and publishing success, you want Judith Bryles as your book coach. Sign up for her weekly blogs and easing at thebookshepherd.com. The Book Shepherding concept is simple. The publishing world is changing, and so must you. You need an experienced shepherd and guide to collaborate with you as you create, strategize, develop, publish, and achieve your publishing goals. Publishing is riddled with obstacles, sometimes nightmares for the author. You do not need more problems. You want solutions. Dr. Judith Riles will shepherd you through the maze and chaos. At times, she has had to step in and rescue a book. A book that has been sabotaged by a publisher, by a publishing service provider, and sometimes even by the author. If you want author and book success, connect with her today at thebookshepherd.com. Welcome back to your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. If you want to write and publish a book. If you want to be successful as an author. Your guide to book publishing, everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask, is for you. Stay tuned and you'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now to get you published. So let's get back to the show. And here again is your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. today is Manuel Ramos and you can find him check out his website just Manuel Ramos um, M-A-N-U-E-L-R-A-M-O-S dot com um, check out his books and if you and I'm also going to say if you have them if you get them hey please post a review up on whether it's Goodreads or Amazon or any other resources because they do help we authors it's a big thing to do He's the author of 11 novels. Um, He also has a short story collection, and he was inducted into the Colorado Authors Hall of Fame in 2021. And today we're talking about writing, creativity. His his niche is crime fiction, and um, specifically in the Chicano Noir. Um, And we've been talking about writing in first person versus the third. His choice is first, and he, um, and I guess, what's one of the reasons why you like first person, Manuel? Uh, I, I think that it uh, allows me as a writer to really explore more of the uh, psychological characteristics of uh, the people I'm writing about. And, uh, you know, that that's the kind of stuff I like to get into, motivation and uh uh, emotion, uh, the, the uh, conflict in people's lives, mm-hmm. other than just uh, you know acting out whatever the crime may be or the resolution of it. How, how do you find the balance between telling or giving backstory and moving forward? It, yeah, well, one of the ways is uh, it, through dialogue. Uh, and uh, especially in a first-person uh, point of view, dialogue is is often what moves the story forward. And 
So the dialogue has to not only sound true to the reader, but it, it also has to be the kind of stuff that uh, is going to keep the reader's attention so that it it does propel the story. And so you've got to have your characters uh, speaking like different people, that they can't all sound the same. Uh, so, so dialogue is, is one way of dealing with that. And, um, and, and that takes practice. Uh, you know, there are certain writers who are famous for their dialogue, such as, uh, Elmore Leonard. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it, it, and it, it comes about because of the, uh, the writer listening to the people that surround him or her in, uh, their daily lives. So it, it, that I think is key. Uh, you know, The Friends of Eddie Coyle is a famous crime fiction novel. And right now I'm spacing out the name of the author, but uh, it was turned into a, a very successful movie that starred Robert Mitchum, I recall. Mm -hmm. But that entire book is nothing but dialogue. So that's a, that's a right. good uh, training manual, you know, that uh, for for writers to read this novel where the only thing in the book is dialogue. So, mm -hmm. You know, it, it kind of reminds me when you said that, when I read the book Thieves, and I, and I, and again, I now let go of the, the author of that. Well, death is the narrator in that book. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. And, um, and, and I plowed through it. It was, it was a challenge to read. Um, I, I loved the movie. Uh, and what they did when they turned it into a movie, I thought was fabulous. But mm -hmm. the, the book thieves, but it having now now you have a, a non-editing being the first person narrator. Um, that <laughs> that was very interesting for me to plow through that one. <laughs> yeah, that that, uh, that sounds complicated. It was complicated, and it was hard to get through. That's why I was relieved when I discovered the movie. Because then I could visualize it all coming together. You know, it was it was right. it, it all did the the magic pop um, that I think. So I love it that you brought up that it's the dialogue that keeps it moving forward. So I guess our our advice to all of you is, if your dialogue is not doing that, maybe you chop it. Maybe that's where um, Jamie Rab, who was well, one of the head honchos at Hache Warner Books said you have to have ruthless editing on yourself first before you turn it over. And oh, I yeah, I believe that. You've got to, got to cure your beauties, as they say. Cure your beauties. Oh, my God, I'm going to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about research a little bit uh, before you leave us, Manuel. Um, how do we go about research? What kind of research would we be doing for a fiction book. And I also would love your input. Of I, I, I've been asking a lot of my people about the, um, oh, the sensitivity editing that's going on. Um, <laughs> is, is it overdone? Do we let it go? I mean, you know, you're, you know, you, you, you have your culture, you're, you're, you're Hispanic or Latino. I'm never not I'm, you know, I have to say, I'm not sure which one to use at which point um, description. Um, but should you be writing about the black culture when that's not your culture? That's a sensitivity editing that's raising flags everywhere. 
Um, You know, so I'd love your input on that. And then the third part, if we can get it in, is, uh, you know, some of the best authors I've seen come out didn't start writing until they were in their 50s. Um, Mm -hmm. You have to be a kiddo or can you really, you know, wait and then start writing. All right. So I just threw a whole bunch at you. Okay, and what was the first one? Research. Research. <laughs> research, right. Well, I, I think research for a fiction writer is living life to the fullest. Uh, mm. Because is essentially the, the artist's experiences are going to be reflected in the art. And uh, in, in a fiction novel or story, uh, it's it, it's got to be uh, meaningful in in the sense of uh, what does it mean to be alive in these times? Um, if that's not too uh, of uh, you know grandiose kind of idea, every character has to be has to relate, in my view, somehow to what's actually going on. And so a writer has to pay attention, as we mentioned before has to be aware of what people are saying and how they're saying it. And uh, and, and always be receptive to uh, the way other people live their lives in trying to understand that, because that will help your writing uh, once you understand other people mm-hmm. as much as you can. Now, th- there are, of course, some very technical things that need to be researched in the old-fashioned way. You know, if you're if you're talking about some new development in technology or uh, a particular kind of uh, science or you know anything that that requires actual uh, fact-based uh, foundation, then you a writer needs to be willing to go to the library or do as much as they can on the internet or talk to other people in the field. Uh, so right now I'm going through that with the book I'm working on now. You know, I'm t- I'm trying to talk to a variety of people that I normally wouldn't associate with simply because I would never cross over into that type of community. But uh, I'm doing it now because uh, that's what I need to do for the story. Would you uh, share? Well, I'm, not, I'm now inquiring minds want to know, Manuel. Would you share? <laughs> <laughs> would you? Would you share what kind of community you're crossing over into? Well, uh, I, I don't want to say too much, but okay. uh, all right, you, I'll, I'll accept that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't want to be a you know a jerk about it, but uh, you're not. It, it's it's um, you know, for example, in the Latino community, there are a variety of um, of sub communities. For example. Uh, there's um, uh, uh, motorcycle clubs, there's car clubs, there are sports fanatics, there are uh, musicians. Uh, hey, that sounds like every community. <laughs> right. That is exactly right. The, whatever community I'm writing about is going to have all these other separate sub-communities. And if I'm going to write about one of those, then I've got to do my research. You know, I've got to talk okay. to people. Yep, good enough. I'll accept that because we're we're now down to a couple of minutes. So I want oh, your okay. input. Yeah, I want your input about sensitivity editing, and that. Well, I I, I think it's um, 
it's a good thing to do that. Uh, if if a writer uh, is writing about something that is they're not uh, naturally related to, and there's a possibility that they might get it wrong, then yes, uh, they should have somebody else uh, whose opinion is legitimate read it and and give them uh, Input. an objective point of view, uh, an objective uh, assessment of the of the material. Mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. I think it's important. I think it should be done. Um, and I, I think, you know, I would never censor another writer. So I would never tell somebody, no, you can't write about the Latino community because you're not Latino. But I would say, if you're going to do that, and you're not Latino, then you, the first thing you have to do is ask yourself, why are you doing that? You know why? Why are you writing about the Latino community if if you're not part of that? And then once you answer that question satisfactorily, then you tell yourself, "Well, I better do the best I can because mm -hmm. other people will be looking at it." Got it. Judging. Got it. Thank you so much. One other question, and then we're going to exit. What does age have to do with writing? Do we? Is there is there a magic age? Well, I, I think there's something about the more experiences you have in life, the broader palette you have for your imagination. All right, and yeah. I'm going to have to I'm going to have to end on that because my producer is giving me a cue. But we're going to go back to what does age have to do it? Let's go back to what what Manuel um, Ramos said: living life to the fullest. As an author, that's what you all should be doing. Thank you for being with us. Thank you, Manuel, for being with us. Thank today. you. All right. Thank you for being a part of your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bry.